we are um, in a series um, titled Act Like a Christian. Everybody say, Act Like a Christian. Uh, you can do better than I say, Act Like a Christian. I tell this story frequently, but it's mine, so I'll tell it again. Years ago, I was standing in Walmart, uh, in line at Walmart, which I try not to do too often, and because uh, I just there's just so much stuff, I don't know what not to buy. And so I'm standing there in line, and the lady in front of me, she's on her phone, and she's steadily talking loud. I mean, just loud. Everybody in the whole story can hear her, and she's just she's going off. And I told his sorry, good for nothing, beep, that I was going to kick his beep. And she's cussing up a storm. A little girl checking her out is just looking at me, and I'm looking at her. And then finally, I just couldn't take it anymore. I just, like, I just couldn't take it. I was like, ma'am, Jesus is still on the throne. And she goes, oh, I know. I just want to give him a praise break right now in the name of Jesus. <laughs> in that moment, I was shocked because I surely didn't think the way she was acting meant that she was a Christian. I certainly didn't think that at all, and neither did the little girl checking out. And I guarantee you the little girl checking out ain't ever going to church because she's thinking if that's what a Christian is, I don't want to be one. And so we're in this series titled Act Like a Christian because um, I want to know how the Christians acted, the, what I'm calling the OC, the original Christians. And what the beauty of this whole teaching is is that God himself made us a book in the Bible titled Acts. And he showed us how the early, it's recorded how the beginning Christians, the original Christians, acted. The acts of the early believers, the apostles, the acts. How did they act? What were they involved in? And so as we dove into this review for just a moment, if you weren't with us the last couple weeks, go back and check these videos out and watch these messages. I'm telling you, they're changing my life. I know they'll change yours as well. First thing that we saw that they did was they committed themselves to prayer, reading the word of God, community, biblical community, doing life together with other Christians, and they committed themselves to literally witnessing and loving other people by having meals together. Then the second week, we looked at the Christians were very much givers. The early church were givers. We live in a time now where it's like, you know, that giving thing's just manipulation by the preachers, and I don't understand why you got to give you money and that kind of stuff and that kind of stuff. And I get it, man. I, I was that guy. I, I was a cynic. I was like, my God, I, this is dumb, and I don't know about all that. And then I, when I read through the scripture, it seems like these preachers were manipulating it to get money out of me and all that kind of stuff. And it literally triggers people who've been in negative situations for us to talk about how the early church were givers. And I came out of a negative situation. I came out of a church where literally the pastor was not healthy in the way he approached this. And it was manipulative. And so even for me as a pastor to bring that message last week, I was really in fear and in trepidation. But I can't get past that the early church gave. They laid it all down. In fact, we studied the passage where it says they even came and they sold all of their properties. They sold properties and they laid all the money at the apostles' feet. Just said, let's take care of each other with it. It was unbelievable. And as we jump in today, I want you to see another way that the Christians, the originals, the OCs acted. And we're going to use the key word today, and that key word is care. They cared. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, I care about you. Say that to them. Turn to the person behind you and say, I care about you. If you will, turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 6. And again, we're, just going, we're kind of just sporadically going through passages in the book of Acts. Acts uh, the book of Acts has 28 chapters. We're not going to cover every chapter in, in the eight weeks that we have together on this. Um, but we are going to jump into this passage here in Acts chapter 6. Read along with me in verse 1 through 7. It will be on the screens with you as well. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. Everybody say increasing. 
Now, if you remember, the chapters just before this, they had about 10,000 men who had put their faith in Jesus. And the way the Jewish people would literally count heads is they would count households. And so the head of households. And even in some, if, if you do nonprofit work, you know, if you have database management, you'll typically put people in households. And so if the 10,000 men, head of households, then what that would probably mean is you're talking about probably somewhere between, uh, excuse me, it said 5,000 men, I apologize. And so that would put you somewhere around 10,000 to 12, 15,000 total church engagement. So the church blew up from 120 people in just a matter of weeks to over 10,000 people. And then here we are picking up in chapter 6, it says the numbers were continuing to increase. And it says the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked. Now remember, they had been bringing all this money, they were giving, so they were, they were trying, because they care, they were trying to help each other, they were trying to keep, keep each other cared for, and, and, and they're bringing all this money, and so it says that the, they complained because the Hebraic Jews, because of their widows, were being overlooked. Everybody say overlooked. In the daily distribution of food, verse 2. So the 12 gathered all the disciples, so we're talking thousands of people, gathered all the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility, everybody say responsibility, responsibility over to them and will give uh, ourselves, excuse me, we'll give attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Verse 5, this proposal pleased the whole group. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Pecorus, Nicarnan, Timon, Timon, uh, Parmenas, Nic Nicholas, and uh, who was from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. Verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God, pay attention, verse 7, the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This whole scenario is all about caring for one another. This whole seven verses is the church has exploded and it's growing so fast that in the midst of the present organization that they had to be able to care for one another, they began to drop the ball. Certain people were getting overlooked because the heartbeat of the early church was that they cared about each other. They cared about each other's needs. They cared about each other's difficulties. They actually cared. Do you know what it's like when you have someone who cares about you? Do you have that feeling? Do you have that sense of comfort to know that there's somebody? And we all know at the end of the day, when everything, everybody else has abandoned us, mama going to answer the phone because mama cares. And I think about that over the years as I've just seen Christianity. Sometimes it seems like Christians don't care. Sometimes, you know, we become so self-centered and so self-focused that we don't give off that we care about other people, that we care about what they're going through. But the early church actually cared. And you and I both know what it is. To have people that exemplify care. I think about Mother Teresa all the time. I had a friend that got to meet her. And he told the story. He said they were in Calcutta. They were doing ministry. They were on a mission trip. And he thought, I wonder if I can go meet Mother Teresa. He told me face to face, a friend of mine. And so he went and knocked on the door of their, of their little, you know, their place where they did ministry. And um, commune, whatever you call it. And, uh, and uh, this little nun came to the door, and he said in, in English, and she understood him, he said, um, I'd like to, is there any way I could meet Mother Teresa? And she said, oh, no. And, da, 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 da. and he goes, well, I'm in from the United States, and we're doing ministry on the streets, just helping people, and I know that's what you guys do, and I just was wanting to just meet her. And she said, come back at 3 o'clock. So he came back at 3 o'clock, and Mother Teresa met with him, and she walked him through 
all of these rooms where they had these homeless people that they had taken in all along the streets of India. When the people get sick and dying, especially in those days, they would just be on the side of the road. People walking past them, people driving past them. And he said, I'll never forget what Mother Teresa told me. She said, they had no care in this life, so we figured we would give them care in death. Nobody cared about them in the everyday life. No respect for them. And that's not right. So we did the best we could. And he asked her, he said, he said, how did you become to be a caregiver? And she said, well, and I think Austria, Poland, I forget where she was from originally. And uh, she said she was a teacher in communism. And she said one night she was locking up the schoolhouse. And there in the snow, in the dead of winter, as she opened, uh, locked the door and went to turn, there in the snow by the steps was a baby. Someone had abandoned a baby, a brand new baby. And it was screaming and, and on its last, it all blue. And so she reached down, she grabbed it, and she went to walk away with it. She's going to take this baby home. And she said the secret police came up to her and said, you are not allowed to take care of a baby. You're not a nurse. You are a teacher. That's what you do. This is what communism divides you out in. And, uh, and so my friend said, so what did you do? She said, I became a nurse <laughs> so she could care for people. And when we think about Mother Teresa and the kind of care, and the kind of love, I love when she told one of our presidents, if you don't want your babies, talking about abortion, give them to me. We'll take care of them. She had an understanding that the Christian cares, that the early church had a caring heart. And I think sometimes in all of the production and all of the busyness of life, we, the church, don't always care for one another real well. And this is what they're dealing with. They're dealing with a moment where there has been breakdown of caring. And you've got to understand, Jesus cared. Jesus cared. Jesus would walk into a city, and on the outskirts there would be these, there would be these lepers who nobody cared about. They had been thrown out of society because of the disease that they had. And Jesus actually cared about them, and we would call them over, and he would lay his hands on them, or he would speak life to them, and they would get healed. Why? Because Jesus cared. Jesus cared about the adulterer. He cared that they had thrown her down at his feet and they had made fun of her and they were planning on killing her and trying to trap him in this whole thing. And as he confronted them with their sin, they all left. And he looks up and he says, woman, where is the people who accuse you? And she says, sir, they've all left. And he goes, then I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. Jesus cared. Now, sometimes care doesn't always look the way we think. Sometimes we think care is giving little Johnny everything he wants. That's not necessarily care. It's not necessarily care bending to what everyone's opinion is about a situation. That's not necessarily caring. In fact, Jesus had grown up in an era where everyone would go once a year to the temple for this giant celebration. And the men and women working the temple lobby would sit there and exchange money and overcharge so that these people from out of town could buy these little animals to make their sacrifices. And Jesus gets so angry one day because he cares that he goes into the temple and he begins to overthrow the tables and he makes a whoop and he whoops on people and he whooped the guy that he whooped it's not that he didn't care he cared about his soul so much that he needs to whoop him and get him out of this situation because what you're doing is going to send you to hell because he said my father's house will be a house of prayer so care doesn't always look like what people want it to look like Sometimes you got to look a person in the face and say, I'm so sorry, but you are dead wrong. God made you perfect when you were born. You don't have to change your gender. You don't have to listen to those lies. That is a lie. I care enough about you and about your destiny and about the days to come that I refuse to let you mutilate yourself because I care about you. Jesus cared. He loved people. 
He met them in the midst of their need. He didn't throw them out. He met the best he could every time he engaged with people. We find that Jesus cared. He cared so much that he climbed up on a cross so that none should perish but all come to eternal life. And I wonder sometimes if I care like that. I have to check myself sometimes and say, you know what, Lord, I did. I laid down business. I laid down all the dreams that I had because you asked me to care for your people. And I said, yes. But sometimes I don't like your people because they're mean. And they backbite everybody. And they're like these, like they're supposed to be sheep, but they act like goats. (laughs) Jesus, why did you sign me up for this? And then his heart bleeds out to me. It's because I love them, because I care about them. Because I care that they spend forever with me. And the demons that have deceived them and tricked them, I want to see them free from that because I care. The church is supposed to be people who care. We're supposed to be caregivers and concerned about others. And I think sometimes, especially in the modern world in which we live, that maybe some of that has been lost. And so I think in today's teaching that we could maybe be challenged a little bit again to act like Christians again. And care for one another. When you open back up with me in verse 1, it says it like this. It opens up and it says, because their numbers were increasing. The moment that numbers increase, you got problems. You got problems. I want you to think about that for a moment. It's real easy to care for your one child or your two children. But imagine, sweet mama, if you got pregnant with triplets and you already had two kids. You got problems. It increased, it's wonderful, but it's also tough. So all of a sudden, they go from 120 people to within weeks to 5,000 people to 10,000 people. And this passage says they were increasing in number. New people, new people, new people, new people, new people. How do you care for all the new people? And keep caring for the people that you already have. This is the conflict, and I love that we're not even six chapters in to the historical layout of what the early church was going through before God points out to us they had conflict and difficulty trying to care for one another, another from the very beginning. From the very beginning, they start having this difficulty. And, it's got, and it, go, verse 1 gives us what, why they're having difficulty, and it says, because some of the widows were being overlooked. Has anybody in this room ever been overlooked? Have you ever felt overlooked? Let me ask you this. Have you ever overlooked anyone? Oh, the shame when you realize I have overlooked you. Overlooked. Their heart, their demeanor was not, I don't like you. It was just, I got so much going that we overlooked you. And you weren't a big complainer. So someone else had to complain for you because we didn't realize we were overlooking you. This is the state of what's happening here. They got overlooked. And, and the Bible actually explains some of the problem, talking about the Hebraic uh, widows versus the Grecian widows. Now, let me give you a little bit of context here. And so the Grecian widows would have been women <clears throat> who had, their husbands had passed away. And there obviously was a large group of them in Jerusalem. And the Grecian widows would have been people whose families had grown up and lived in the outskirts, not in Jerusalem. They had been in foreign lands. And the Hebraic widows would have been people who were from the area. They grew up in the area. They were, this is the, you know, they're Texans, man. They're Texans. Not a bunch of them California people keep moving in here. 
I found this sign the other day. I, I, so we were out in South Texas somewhere, and I tried to, I tried to get it for you guys, but I, I forgot. I couldn't find it in my photos. I'm going to show it to you today. And it said this. It says, Texas sucks. Tell all your California friends. <laughs> I thought that was the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> and so what you've got is these foreigners have moved in. Now, you've got to understand, there was a concept at the time that, um, that you would resurrect from Jerusalem. That, that you wouldn't resurrect. So if you die and your body went in the ground, that when the resurrection was to happen, you could only resurrect from Jerusalem. So all the foreign Jews who lived in other countries... They needed to get to Jerusalem so that they could resurrect from Jerusalem because they had, a, they had this crazy thought that if you died and you lived in a foreign country, then what would happen was during the resurrection, your body would have to roll underground all the way to Jerusalem, and that would make for just a terrible moment in your life. That's the, and so what would happen was all the snowbirds, I mean all the older folks after they retired, would move to Jerusalem, and then Papa would die off. All the kids and all their businesses are back in a foreign country. And uh, Papa would die off and then Mama would be left there without any help. So this is what they're dealing with. So all of these widows have come to Christ, but they're from somewhere else. And so there probably was just a little bit of, we'll get to them when we get to them. We've got to take care of home base first. There probably was just a little bit of that prejudiceness in there. A little bit of bias. And I love every one of you guys, but the beauty of being in a multiracial, multi-generational church is our biases and facing them and laying them at the cross. He said, I ain't got no bias. Oh, I saw a guy the other day who used to come to our church. He says, you know, y'all just didn't sing enough hymns. I said, is that right? Sound like bias to me? I love the hymns, but my God, my kids don't. I want to be in church with my kids. I love, I mean, I love me certain types of worship, but my black friends don't like that type of worship, or my Hispanic friends don't necessarily, and so, and so those biases that we all have, this is what they're dealing with, they're dealing with their biases, and so guess what, in the midst of their bias, someone got overlooked. Their heart is to care, because they're, they're Christians, they're like Jesus, they, like Jesus cared, and so when they realize this, it comes to complaint, they start complaining, the apostles got to I want you to think how this went down. They're sitting all in a staff meeting and saying, have y'all seen the post right now? What are you talking about? Who didn't take care of the Grecian widows? Whose job was it last week to make sure they all got their gift cards? Peter's like, oh, it was my week, man. Peter, what? You had one job, bro. No, nah, that ain't true. I was on my way. Man, next thing I know, this dude was manifesting right there on the sidewalk. I jumped in. I swear, casting the devil out him in the name of Jesus. Then I got a text message that Miss So-and-so was having difficulty. Her car was broken. So I ran over there, tried to fix her car. And I just, I, I lost, I forgot about it. Well, look, are they all mad? Now they're leaving the church. They posting on social media how much we suck. Oh, man. I just, I don't know. I don't know how. And, and not only that, but how am I going to make all the prayer meetings y'all got us praying in? I hadn't read the word in two months because all I'm doing is giving food to the widows. No wonder my messages don't sound right. My doctrine's all over the place because all I'm doing is dealing with all this stuff. So they sat down and they came together and they realized, you know what? We're out of position. Things aren't working because we've grown. Because we've grown, we're not able to care as well as we could when there was just 120 of us. I remember when we first started this church, and it was in my living room, every one of those 20 people had my cell phone number. Because the whole church was 20 people. It wasn't hard to care for 20 people. 
Then when we turned to about 120 people, I was like, man, I ain't, I, you ain't getting my cell phone. I don't even know. I just, bro, I don't even know if you saved. You're just looking for a place to be weird and this thing. And we accept you. And we love you. But we got a little bit of work for you for a little bit. And then we got to three or four or 500 people. I was like, man, I can't, my, Jesus, help. And we got over 1,000. I was like, Jesus. That's where they're at. But they're in the tens of thousands now. And so they literally began to overlook people. They began to overlook them. They weren't caring for them as w- the way they wanted to. And so the apostles determined a reorg. They determined a reorg. And we see this in verses 2 through 3. That they, we've got to reorganize what we're doing. Because what we're doing is not getting us the, the ability to care for the people the way we want to. Because we're supposed to be caring for one another. Their heart was to care because that's what Christians do. We care. We care about people's needs. We care about people who are hurting. We care about people that no one, no one has noticed. And they've come in and out of a church service and no one's even walked up to them. That's why I ask you, get out of your seat and go say hello to someone. Please. And it's so funny to watch it. I ain't doing that. Why? Because you don't care. Because when you care, you're like, I don't want. I've been that person who went to church and nobody talked to me. And I was like, forget these people. They are all self-absorbed. This ain't the church. This is why lost people don't want to get right with God. Because when they see that we don't care about them, we care only about ourselves, they're like, well, if that's what Christianity is, at least when I go to the bar, they're, they're glad that everybody knows my name. And they're always glad I came. <laughs> yeah, they are, because they're getting money out of you. Well, so does the church. <laughs> so, and so that's the breakdown, is that, is, that, is that when we don't care for one another, people go, you know what? I can get this in the world. This is a place that we got to come back to. The early church was really good at it. Even in conflict, even when they were bad at it, they recognized we got to fix it. we got to fix it because Jesus cares. And we're his representatives, so we should care for one another. And then we need to do it better. So they determined to reorganize this whole thing. And so they, they literally said, we're going to face our biases. We're going to deal with this thing. And they said, we got an idea. Here's what we think you should do. We think that you should, you should just, you know, we're, we're going to, you pick some guys who can take care of this area because we're not good at taking care of this area because we need to be good at what we're supposed to be good at as the leaders of this thing. We need to be good at the word so that we don't get confused and there's not bad doctrine. There's so many things that we're not sure of. And not only that, but if we don't pray through some things, we're going to get taken down. So let us focus on that. That's our care gift to the body. And why don't, there's some other guys who have a care gift to actually help make sure we administrate a little bit better and pick from amongst yourselves. And see, guys, you got to understand, when, when, when you begin to grow, you're going to have to reorganize things to be able to care. Uh, years ago, I would preach on the West Coast four or five times a year in what are Russian-American churches. And uh, these were Russians who, um, th- who uh, literally fled here f- uh, for asylum during the Cold War. And, um, and they've set up, you know, uh, churches and ma- a lot of Slavic-speaking congregations. I would s- speak in them. I'm on the West Coast, Sacramento. I'm in Portland. And I've got a translator and a thousand people in the room. And they're all, you know, they're Russian-Americans. But they mainly still speak, you know, their Slavic language. And I, and I still I oversee a, 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 a Slavic-American pastor. And, uh, and I begin to really engage in their culture. And I love their culture. And uh, I, I say it like this. They're the hardest working people in the world. And they will work for you really, really hard. Um, so they can figure out how to take over your business or start a competitive business. It's really, and, and they laugh every time. Da, da, that's what we do, Pastor. That's what we do. But, but I noticed that when I was with them, it was like, you know, they would always say, Pastor, I want you to meet my brother, Sergey. 
I was like, didn't I just meet your brother? So, oh, yeah, that's brother number two. And I would meet brothers and sisters from the same family, 12 of them, 10 of them. And so I finally was like, how many kids do y'all have in your family? Oh, there's 10 of us. You, you have 10 kids? You have, 10, you have nine siblings? Yes, yes, yes. Like your mama and daddy, they're the greatest people on the planet. How do y'all do that? And they begin to teach me their culture to have that many kids to have that kind of influence. And let me just tell you like this. this is, I love this about their culture. If one cousin gets in the fight at Starbucks, they make one text and Russians come from everywhere. People are going to get beat down because <laughs> they got a lot of cousins, brothers and sisters. I mean, even the chicks can fight. I mean, I was like, I was helping them a little bit with that, by the way. And so, um, but, but I mean, when you've got nine other siblings and, and I begin to ask them, how do y'all do that? And they said, well, actually, it's amazing because we all co-parent each other. I was like, what do you mean? Like, well, for example, uh, I can whip my little brother. You can whip your little brother? Like, now, that, now, now I understand that in black community, black folks, everybody can whoop each other. I mean, auntie can whoop you, people that you don't even know, you acting a fool in a restaurant. A black woman will whoop you, I'm just telling you. Come here. I don't even care if you don't belong to me. But, but white people don't do that. White people are like, oh, my God, like, you cannot talk to my child. Okay, because he's having, like, he said, you're triggering him. Uh, his peanut allergies, he won't be able to go to school for a week now. And so, so I was like, you can whip your little brother? They're like, I can whip five through ten. I can't whip, you know, uh, one through four. I'm like, are you serious? Like, yeah, no, they're too old, and mom and dad don't let me whoop, but I whoop them. They literally care for one another. And mom and dad, if you will, almost co-parent with them. This is, this is what they were proposing in this moment of conflict when they're, not, they're overlooking people. Is that we've got to share the leadership. And if you don't understand this about scripture, every one of you are kings and priests before the Lord your God. Every one of you are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every one of us. And I came up in an era where only the one up on that stage, only the few people who went to Bible school, they were the ministers. And that is anti-scriptural, by the way. We are all ministers. In fact, Ephesians says that my job is to organize us in such a way that you can minister, every one of you can minister to one another and to others. That is what the scripture says, that the apostle prophet, they're all been put in place so that we can equip you to minister to others my role is nothing more than an equipper some of you are equippers alongside of me every one of us has the ability and the and the calling of God to minister to others and this is what they had a revelation of here in the early church because up until this point there's 12 of them and they're all trying to run around and fix everything and they're trying to fix everything and they're not getting it done 90% of churches in America under 200 people do you know why because 200 people is about the most that one family can care for, one pastor in their family. And the reason why 90% of churches in America are under 200 people, because those 200 people, they don't want nobody else to come. Because they might get the pastor's cell phone, and then he's going to be at their birthday party instead of theirs. That's the whole control piece. And so the reason why churches that are growing and are healthy, because they have figured out how to organize themselves in such a way that we can keep giving care to people. That we can care for one another. That we can, listen, I'm just telling you, if you had 10 kids tomorrow, you would change the way you do life. I'm going to tell you that right now. You, gonna, you ain't, ain't no more going to Walmart. Walmart's coming to you. <laughs> I'm telling you that right. You would reorganize everything. Everybody gets a dollar meal. That's all you get. Right? 
Ain't no, can I have an extra? No, ain't no extra. I got you extra. Say thank you for getting a hamburger. You're welcome. No cheese, no pickles, no onions. I, water. We're all drinking water. Disney World, you can watch Disney World on TV because we ain't going. Oh, you want a little, you want a little rat with, a little, with little ears? We're going to the resale shop and see if we can find any over there for you. We'll wash it. It'll be just fine. You can tell everybody at school that you went to Disney World in your mind because we can't afford it. Right? Like you got to reorg. And so you'll notice literally that they had to redo everything. And look what it says in verse 3. It says, you pick out these seven folks and we'll turn the responsibility of caring over to them. This is the other problem why churches stay small. It's because the leadership doesn't want to turn over any responsibility to anybody else. They don't want to turn it over. And the reason why is because they got S on their chest. Everybody thinks they're Superman. And that's why you burn out all these pastors and all these pastors end up on uh, taking drugs and having sex with people they're not married to and all this kind of stuff. Because they don't know how to organize themselves in such a way that they, that they keep holding on to all the responsibility. I'm going to tell you right now, Hill City lives and dies on the fact that whether or not you will take responsibility for loving other people. Our growth, how many people we reach, whether or not people go to hell in Cedar Hill or, or Mansfield or Duncanville, DeSoto, South Dallas County, it all depends on whether or not you will actually take responsibility to care for other people. If you don't, then that's as far as we'll go. Because I'm so smart that I ain't going to try to be Superman and burn myself out. And you're like, man, we used to have a good pastor. That guy had a heart attack at 53 years old. It was amazing. I can't believe, it. look how old he looks, look how fat he's gotten, look how, oh my God, that dude, I don't know what he's talking about anymore when he preaches, doesn't burn his brain cells all out, trying to keep up with everybody. Because we didn't understand that to care for one another, we actually have to organize ourselves to where everyone cares for each other. And this is what they began to do. And look what it literally says, it says that, that they said, pick, pick seven of them and we'll turn the responsibility over to them. And, uh, and we'll let them care and let them help care. And look what's the qualification. Did you see what the qualification was for who they picked? They had to be full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. How many of you guys are full of the Holy Spirit? If you're full of the Holy Spirit, then guess what? Then that means you got wisdom because he brings the wisdom of the ages inside of you. It, it, it didn't ask. Uh, and look for seven guys who actually have had business degrees. Who've had their own small business, who have an administration background, who've been educated in how to help widows with food distribution, who actually didn't ask any of that, don't need any of that. I just need people who are full of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will give them wisdom and guidance and they'll figure out how to accomplish the task because they'll be following the Holy Spirit. You cannot live like a Christian and act like a Christian without the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. You can't. You cannot be nice. You cannot be a giver. You cannot commit to prayer and, and, and reading the word. It's just like, ah, oh, this is so boring. I hate this mess. Ah. You cannot be caregiving to others and care about what others are going through because you just, because without the power of the Holy Spirit, this is why they could shift and move because they had the Spirit of the living God leading them, guiding them, empowering them, teaching them. This goes way back to all of this. God never intended us to try to somehow be good. He said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you where right and wrong is at, and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to actually live it out. And that's why I'm constantly asking you, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Have you quenched the Holy Spirit? Do you let the Holy Spirit lead you? Can you hear his voice? Do you know his voice? Do you have his power flowing through you? In this church, we hear miracles after miracles after miracles after miracles because people in this church know what it is to be full of the Holy Spirit and to follow him and empower him to lead their lives. If you don't have that at work in your life, all that I'm doing is going to frustrate you when I teach you about where the rightness is in God. And you're like, I can't do that. Nobody cares about me. 
Exactly. That's what someone without the power of the Holy Spirit is going to say. Nobody cares about me. When you got the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you, not only does he bring people into your pathway to help you, but he also gives you the ability to help others and to care for others. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. I think about it all the time, you know, so, so Hill City, when we started this church, just so you know, I said, Pastor, how do, you, how, do you, how do we care for each other here at Hill City? That's why we do small group life. You have to understand this. Years ago, I was a professional pastor in one of the fastest growing churches in America. I was an associate pastor. Oversaw all the young adults, thousands of young adults, and uh, we began to research the churches around the world because our pastor had a word from the Lord. The Lord told him two things were coming to the United States, harvest and hostility. It's happening. People are getting saved, but there's such hostility against Christianity. So the Lord told us, go research the churches in the world who are growing in the midst of harvest and hostility. Who has that? And so we went and researched every church in the world that was growing and changing their nations for Jesus. And every one of them were a small group based church. Every one of them had did what the apostles did in chapter 6 of Acts. And they began to turn over responsibility to the people. Instead of trying to say there's this elite group that you just got to get to them. If you get to them somehow they will bless you more. Because they're more anointed. And they walk on air. They never touch their pants when they put them on. They just supernaturally come on them as they flow. When they drink water, it turns to wine. (laughs) I'm just like you. I'm a dude who said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead is in me. That same spirit's in you. I'm no more anointed. I may be more obedient. I may be more surrendered. I may have learned a few things in my disobedience, but that doesn't make me any better or any, any more powerful. It just means you haven't actually followed the Holy Spirit and tapped in to the power that you can walk in. And I just walk by faith a little bit more because I've been there a little, little bit longer, but you're getting there. Amen. Are you still with me? Say yes. So he said, we're going to turn these responsibilities over them. And so what we've done in Hill City, we've turned it over. we turn it over. And listen, we understand not all of our small group leaders are just powerful and glorious, but my God, they said, yes, we'll help care for people. Yes, we'll help care for people. I'll never forget, I, I mean, listen, I love, Miss Helen, raise your hand right there. I love this woman. Raise your hand, Miss Helen, right behind you. Raise your hand, Miss Helen. I love Miss Helen more than life itself. And Miss Helen is in a small group with Carl. There you go, Carl and Janet. Raise your hand, Carl and Janet. Listen to me. Carl has taken her on cruises. He and his wife, they have, they have, he, I just asked Carl, Carl, are you taking care of Miss Helen? Because if you not, because Pastor Adam, I got her. When, when her brother was sick, Carl knew all about it. He and Janet were ministering to her, caring for her. And, and, and Carl's network pastor is caring for him and his wife. And I'm caring for their network pastors. See, we've organized ourselves to where we're in small groups, and then we have network pastors over the small groups, and the network pastors are under me and our team of pastors. And that's how we can care. That's why we have a place to grow and to minister. You say, well, I, don't want, the, I want the pastor to care for me. Well, which pastor? Because there's hundreds of pastors in this congregation. There's hundreds of them. Which one do you want? Well, I want the guy up there preaching. No, you don't. I'm terrible. My poor guys that I'm caring for, they're like, Pastor, could you call me every now and again? Let me know I'm, that you love me. <laughs> I'm, like, oh, yeah, I'm trying. I'm, I love you. I care about you. Right? And this is what they did. They had to reorganize themselves because they recognized, wait a minute, what we've been doing doesn't work. And I don't understand why here we are 2,000 years later and churches are still trying to do a model that doesn't actually help them care for people. 
So they create all these ministries, and now the ministries are going to care for you. But guess what the ministries are all based on? They're all based on your brokenness. Well, anything that you give attention to is what people are going to keep going to. And at this church, we love you, and we know that you're struggling with the stuff, and we want to help you with that. But look up here. Look to Jesus. You're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Don't just, oh, I'm just a divorcee, and I'll never amount to anything. I got to go to the divorce recovery ministry. They're really helping me. You've been doing that for four years. And the poor, the poor little guy over is like, I don't know what to do with them anymore. They just keep coming to the same meeting. I got no more materials to give them. And this is how we built the whole church. It's based on all these little ministries, based on your brokenness. No, 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 no. You're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ, your Lord. Even in your brokenness, you can give to others. And as you give to others, that brings healing into you. And that's why we've organized ourselves for you to get in relationship with other Christians. And you're like, ah, I don't, ooh, it's hard for me, Pastor. I, I, all the time. Pastor's hard, man. I've been in this small group with a bunch of white people. Oh, my Jesus. Pastor, every other word, they trigger me. I don't know where they've been living. I don't know what they're thinking. Oh, my God. And I just tell them, ooh, looks like the Lord's anointed you to help them. Oh, Pastor. Ooh. Give them a little bit of care. Show them where they're missing it. Show them how much you love them. Be, give a little bit more stamina in the situation. Don't quit on them just yet. Just stay with them. That's what I do. I stay with my people that I'm ministering to and caring for. I stay with them until God does a miracle. I don't throw them out. Aren't you glad? Isn't that what care looks like? You don't throw them out just because they hadn't gotten there yet. None of you would do that to your own children. Some of you have bailed out your nephew out of jail when he was a crackhead, murdering, stealing, whatever he's been doing. Because he's your kid. Because he's your people. We've got to give him another chance. Why don't we do that in the church? Why don't we care for each other like that? This is what they were doing in the New Testament. They got it around. And it says that they made the proposal. They said, listen, pick seven or so. And look what the Bible says in verse 5. It says, the proposal pleased the whole group. Thousands of people went, that's, that's it. That's it. Why? Because we're going to hand over caregiving to all of us. We're going to give responsibility to care for others to all of us. And here, pick seven right now that are full of the Holy Ghost. That you know, look, that dude right there is the real Christian. He's the real deal. He's full of the Holy Spirit. And they picked some, it said it was pleasing to them. They're like, this is the right way to organize us. This is a sustainable model where we can have thousands upon thousands come to Christ. And they shifted it all from this little special group to everybody's a minister. They shifted it in this moment. We see it happening in chapter 6 like never before. And Paul actually teaches us in Romans chapter 12. Paul teaches us every one of us have a gift. Every one of us have a gift to give. If you don't know what your gift to give in the body of Christ, your spiritual gift is, you need to go through our growth track because we do a gift assessment to help you assess and figure out, oh, that's my gift. My gift is encouragement. My gift is leadership. My gift is bringing the word and praying for you. That's my best gift that I can give you. I can go help you move your cars. I can go help you fix your tires. I can do that, but it's not my best gift. It's not my best gift. If everyone is bringing their gifts and loving and caring for one another, then all the needs are met. That's literally what the scripture says. And so everyone was sharing responsibility as a result of this. And look at what it says. The result of all of this. Would you look with me one more time in verse 7. It says, and so they find a better way. Look what it says. So the word of God spread. Everybody said the word of God spread. People are like, what are y'all doing over there in this thing? I thought it was a cult. What is this thing? Yeah, man, it's unbelievable. No one's ever looked me in the eye and told me they love me. And I got this guy 
this small group leader, he, he texts me every day. I love you. I'm praying for you. My own daddy never did that. Can you believe this? Are you serious? Man, I need, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm in this, I'm just out here trying to survive. I need people like that in my life. The word of God spread. And look, it says, the number of disciples in Jerusalem, what did it do? Look at it. What did it say? What did it do? Say it out loud. What did it do? More people are getting saved. You know why it could increase rapidly? Because they reorganized themselves to a place where everyone is a minister. That's why. They reorganized themselves to where it's not just a select group. Those who are the apostles. Those chosen by the Lord himself. Had actually had his spit come down off of the brow. In a moment he was preaching. Spit right there. And I have the anointing of God on me. As a result, I have a special spirit of the Lord upon me. I tell people all the time. Why do we make these special people? Like, if Jesus wanted special people, he would have married and had kids. And then they would have been the special ones. So what he did, he called us the church. We are his bride, and every one of us are his special kids. That's what, that, every one of us are anointed and appointed by God to minister to one another and care for others. And it says, not only that, but a large, and this will blow your mind if you understand the context, a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The priests would have been protecting Judaism. Christianity would have been seen as, a, as, a, as, a, as an enemy of Judaism, as a threat to Judaism. <clears throat> and these priests <clears throat> would have been experts in the word of God, in the law, in the Torah. So why all of a sudden are they leaving their profession as professional ministers in Judaism to go and be a part of Christianity? Well, this whole passage is telling us why. Because they begin to care for each other again. They found the way to reorganize themselves, and everyone is ministering to each other and caring for one another. And they're like, this is what I signed up for. This is what I thought my religion was going to be. But it's turned into rules and regulations and systems that are dead, and they don't bring life to people. We've got to have systems. We've got to have organization. But if they don't care for people and they don't bring life, then we've got re- to reorganize them. We've got to fix them, which is exactly what they did. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you a little bit of advice as we close out for the next couple moments. Advice for developing a caring soul. Are you still with me? Say yes. yes. Come on. Are you still with me? Say yes. yes. All right. Here's number one. Ready? Write it down. You're not going to like it, but it's good. It's good for your soul. Number one, repent of overlooking others. I can right here, right now. I know I need to repent of overlooking others. Why do we overlook others? Because we're so consumed with what we're doing. Just, I mean, come on, we all just trying to get, listen, not only that, you need to understand, we're all born with a I am what matters most trait. We're all born with a trait that I'm what matters most. You're the only one to take care of yourself. And not only that, but especially if you're a minority group, Hispanic, uh, uh, African-American, uh, you know, Asian, you came, into the, you came into life being told, listen, ain't nobody else going to take care of you. You got to take care of yourself. Nobody else is going to help you. You got to help yourself. Being poor, that was my grandma looked me in the eye and said, you're going to have to fight for it. There ain't nobody coming to save you. You're going to have to make something of yourself, which means you've got to step on whoever you've got to step on. So when I got saved, I was in this battle between getting where I wanted to go versus how many people I had to step on to get there, how many people I had to use. And so when the Lord began to work in me, I literally had to repent. Lord, I am overlooking people because they don't benefit where I'm trying to go. Lord, I repent. I repent. I don't even see them. 
I want to show you a video for a moment. Is that right? Can I show you a video? This video marked me the other day. I came across my feed on TikTok, and, uh, and I just thought probably some of you have seen it. Maybe you haven't because it was more localized than another part of the country. But play this for him for just a second, and then I'll break it down. It was end of day for students at Carter Middle School in Warren, Michigan. But for those on bus 46 that April afternoon, it was the beginning of an unforgettable ordeal. All of a sudden, the brakes get slammed. We all were just terrified and shocked. And that's when I like looked up and saw him. Seventh grader Dylan Reeves had grabbed the steering wheel. Soon after, police called the boy's father and stepmother, Steve and Iretta. Are you the parent of Dylan Reeves? And I said, yes. And I go, what do you do? And he goes, no, this is a good phone call. Your son's a hero. He stopped the bus. Stop the bus? Like, what? What? The officer went on to explain, and security footage shows how Dylan noticed the driver was having a medical emergency and immediately sprang from his seat. I just knew what to do in that moment. The bus was swerving off the road. So Dylan took the wheel, hit the brake, and gained control of the situation, saving driver and students. Someone call 911. A true hero, no doubt. But we still had a question. Why didn't anyone else notice what was happening? Well, turns out... Had my AirPods in. Virtually every kid... I was looking at my phone. ...was on a device. I was on my phone playing a little game. We hear a lot about the consequences of too much screen time. But one thing I never considered until now is the loss of situational awareness. What's happening around them? And yet somehow... At least one kid on that bus instantly recognized what was happening. Any guesses as to why? I know why, because my son does not have a cell phone. And Steve says, that's the lesson here. What else are you going to do when you don't have a phone? You're going to look at people, you're going to notice stuff, you're going to look out the window. It's a very powerful lesson. Maybe change the world kind of lesson, I don't know. At least a save the bus kind of lesson. And they say reason enough to hold off getting him a phone for another day. How do you feel about that? Whatever. My parents are old school. But for good reason. I guess. Sometimes even heroes have it hard. <laughs> I'm so sorry, young people. I, I didn't mean to set you up for failure. But I, this gripped me when I saw this because this kid becomes a hero because he's aware and so he's able to give care because he's aware. No one else, those other kids are great kids. They didn't want to all die on a bus where, you're, where the bus driver is having an epileptic seizure and literally locked up. That bus would have been down in a culvert, would have killed a bunch of kids. Why did that bus get saved by this one little guy? Because he, he was aware. Why was he, it wasn't that he's a great caregiver. It's just that he wasn't so distracted. So when the care was needed, he was able to give it. That's what I'm trying to say to us. I, I don't think the apostles hated the Grecian widows. I just think they were so busy doing everything else that they didn't even see it happening. And I think, I think at the same time, this is happening in the church all around us, in this church, in our lives, all around us. And I think the first thing we ought to do is start and stop and just say, Lord, I repent for overlooking, for being so busy about my career, about, you know, my own four kids and whatever. Lord, I just, Lord, I repent of that. And this brings me to the second thing that I would give you as advice so you can develop a caring soul. And that is ask the Holy Spirit for help. 
It's really that simple. I started asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, don't let me look past people. I don't want to look past people. If I'm in Walmart, I want to, I want to see their need. I want, to, I want to give them something. I want to give them a word. I want to give them a, a, a encouragement. My wife was at the store the other day, and, and this gentleman, uh, I, I think he might have worked there, and he was, um, he was in one of the electric carts, and, and these people were walking out as he was coming in, and uh, he smiled at them and said, how you doing? And they looked at him and just kind of kept walking, she said. And she said, so then he got close to her, and she looked at him and smiled and said, well, how are you doing? He said, I'm okay. He said, it's amazing how inexpensive a smile is. You think people would just smile. He was ticked off that the couple before her didn't smile at him. And rightfully so, because he's smiling. I mean, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me to just care about people, because I don't necessarily. And listen, this is coming from an only child. I've told you before. My concept is I'm the only one who matters in life. Because my mama told me that my whole life. You're the only, you're the greatest kid in the world. I'm your only kid. I mean, you know, so you're my favorite son. I'm your only son. Right? And so I literally had to get free, and the Holy Spirit has helped me, and I want him to keep helping. Here's the third thing I would teach you to do, and that is practice. Everybody say practice. You can practice smiling. You can practice listening. You can practice putting your phone away, because all you're doing is scrolling through meaningless information anyway. Why are you sitting there? You know, why you're sitting there in the waiting room, just put your phone aside for a second and just look around, and the Lord may give you a word for somebody. And I know it's intimidating. I know we don't know how to be nice anymore. I know we don't have, know how to be social anymore because the pandemic broke all of our social skills. But I'm telling you, we can do it because Jesus cared. And Christians care. That's how we act. That's why people are confused. Like the woman on the phone in Walmart, blank and blank and blanker. I told his blank and blank. I was confused. If that's a Christian, then I don't know if that's what I want to be. Because I can do that and don't have to go to church. I can sleep in on Sundays. I don't have to be in a relationship with other Christians then. If there's no real heaven and there's no real hell, and we can all just live like this and act like this. But see, she was wrong. Christians care. It's what we do. Here's the fourth and final thing I teach you to do, and that is this. Get around others who care. If you spend your time all day long with selfish people, you're going to be selfish. You're going to be self-centered. And that's why I want you in another small group life, because you're getting around people who are trying to care too. They don't have it perfected or figured out. You may be thinking, I need more Bible study. And they're like, look, dude, we're just trying to go to Starbucks once a month. The best we can pull off. Just get around other people who are trying and trying to care, and I promise you, your care level will go up. Are you with me today? Say yes. Christians care about others. That's how we act. And when we don't act that way, then we're not acting like Christ. Would you do me a favor? Would you stand with me all across the room? Hey, thank you for joining us online here at Hill City. We're so honored that you would take the time to join us remotely and to celebrate the goodness of Jesus I hope that word spoke to you. I hope that you were blessed today, and I hope that you are encouraged to go forth in the confidence of Jesus this week, wherever you are. If you made a decision today uh, to serve Jesus for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. Would you text DECIDED to 469-606-2684? And uh, we want to respond, and again, just connect with you and celebrate the beginning of an amazing discipleship journey with Jesus. Don't forget, next week we are here again, same place, same time, 9 o'clock, and until then, we hope you have an amazing week.